Welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview Treasury professionals about their Treasury careers. Each and every week, I talk to treasurers about how they build their careers, where they are now, where they see both themselves and the Treasury profession going to next. And a special thanks to Flywire, our fantastic sponsors. If you've ever wondered whether there was a way to ease your international transaction hassles, they're the guys to talk to. If you follow the link in our show notes, you can see me talking to my mate Greg Levin, their senior VP of sales. I get to ask Greg about who are Flywire and how they can help you and your treasury team with your cross-border payment headaches. Just follow the link to the interview in today's show notes. And now let's get on with the show. In this week's show, delighted to be joined by Jörg Biermüller, the head of cash and risk management at Merck. Founded in 1668 in Germany, Merck is the world's oldest pharmaceutical and chemicals company in the world. Amazing. Now, if you actually do want to, we've got a previous episode where I interview a colleague of Jörg's Rando, who I've known for many years, known Jörg for many, many years. So it's great to have him on today's show. Again, just briefly, Merck has a passion for science and technology, 58,000 employees, 66 countries. We'll put links to Merck. I mean, everyone knows Merck anyway. But I want to talk to Jorg about his career and things like that. Take us back, if you would. How did you first get started, first in finance and treasury? I know this because you and I have talked about it. But, you know, this is for the listeners who haven't ever heard it before. Over to you, sir. Hello, Mike. Thank you very much for the invitation. Happy to share my thoughts with you and the audience. I didn't start directly with treasury. I first started after high school with the apprenticeship as a bank clerk. So here I learned really bank banking from the beginning, starting doing my work at a desk. And, and this was the touching point. And after uh, studying at university, microeconomics, I started then working for the Set Bank and Hypervariance Bank. And after some other multinational companies in treasury, I ended up at Merck. And with that, you know, just, I know that a lot of my European guests, I was actually talking to someone the other day in the US, and that, you know, when in the UK, most people fall into treasury by accident, finance and treasury and things. But it seems a lot of European treasurers and treasury professionals will get that first, you know, relationship management, you again, as you've done, what was that like for you? Was that then you discovering treasury? Or how did treasury come onto the radar on finance and things? Okay, first of all, you have to say that, uh, and I know it for Germany, you cannot study treasury at university. Yeah. You can study finance in general, you can study accounting, controlling, you can also do investment banking and types of financing and so on, but not treasury in particular. So normally German treasurers uh, have a career in banking um, where they started. And the same applies for me. And as you said, I ended up as being a relationship manager for multinational corporates, Hypervariance Bank and DZ Bank. And there I got to learn my, my clients, the head of treasury uh, of big German multinationals. And one day I thought they always look happy. They have an interesting job. They are truly international. And once I got the offer, if I would like to change the sites. And this was the time when I moved from Hypervariance Bank to Schott AG. And who was Schott? I mean, and, and what did you take with you in your, in your satchel, in your, your business case, if you like? What, what treasury skills did you have that then you added to Schott and things? 
do a shot. Okay. okay, first of all, shot is a, a mid-sized German hidden champion having 3 billion uh, turnover, truly international. And what did I bring with me? The totally wrong view on, on what a treasurer's life is, <laughs> is, is really. Was a smile false then when, when they came to you and they had happy smiley faces? They weren't that happy. No, uh, <laughs> it was just my view on being a banker. You always think it's always about bank services. It's about that a treasurer spends 80% on, on banking services and 20% for something else. And in fact, it's the totally opposite. 80% are internal projects, are the financing internally, are topics within the group. And the only 20% you spend with banks and, and financial partners, and they just have to function. And this was my, my first experience and, and my first eye-opener that as a treasurer, it's not everything about the banks. Right. And shot, they, as you say, glass, ceramics, and, and different things. What was that like in treasury terms? What was, were things you got involved in? I got lucky there. The treasury that I found there was already very involved. My task being head of corporate finance was bringing a shot, which is which is foundation company, bringing them to capital market structures. So this was my first task to reshape the financing landscape. So we did the second private placement in the USA after class in Hasewinkel. And, and, and therefore, we did uh, project financing, we prepared for rating, we prepared for IPO of Shot Solar at that time. So we really reorganized the, the reporting structure of the financials and set up the treasury team to be capable for the capital markets. From Shot, you were there four years. You then joined Dystar. Again, you and, you and I know this. What was that like and who were they and things? This was a totally different animal. First of all, I changed uh, from being head of corporate finance reporting to the head of treasury at SHOT. And at Dystar, I became head of treasury reporting directly to the CFO. Uh, Dystar itself is the world's biggest textile dyes manufacturer uh, located in, in, in Frankfurt. And it was under the ownership of private equity. And this was a totally different dynamic and speed what I found there. And when you say that, in what ways, without, you know, diving too much into it, you know, things that we can't say, but I had Julie Fabris on the show many, many years ago, good friend of the business. And I said to Julie, she'd worked for many private equity backed companies. And I said, well, it's all about cash, right? And they, they don't really care about that. And yes, and she said, yes, once you do the cash and sort that out, then you get to do all the other interesting stuff. You know, that was a key focus that, you know, that's one of the drivers of any business. Was it like that for you? For sure, you don't need to work under private equity to know cash is king and P&L is opinion and all these um, um, buzzwords and so on. But if the main focus is to get cash out of the company, it will be hard and uh, the company future will be maybe not as prosperous as it should be. And, and right. therefore, exactly as you said, I learned again many, many things. So I truly did an asset-based lending. So we really got through production sites and were waiting the barrels and looking for what kind of legierung it is. So what kind of metal is inside? How can you meld it? And how much is the selling price of it? So this is really how deep it can get to make cash out of everything. I mean, fascinating experience. Relatively, still relatively early in your career, you're doing that. Would you recommend that to other treasurers, do you think? 
It, it depends for sure on the company. The company itself was great. My colleagues were great. Uh, for sure, when does private equity take over um, companies if something is not really perfect? So right. for sure, the company itself, in terms of financial and expanding or going public, there's something going on. And right. uh, the learning curve is quite steep. I, but I can only uh, recommend you and uh, don't do this if you are going to raise a family in the meantime. Right. There can be only uh, one of both. Working a day and night for the company or raising family and having leisure time but both will not work no and then so what then it came about you how come you then joined merck you know again it's quite weird because i'm asking these questions the audience don't know i know because we've known each other for yeah. 20 yeah. plus years so no. talk explain to the audience if you will oh, quite fine for sure uh, i was still young as you mentioned and ambitious to have the next step in career and for sure working for a mid-sized company and there's there's limitations um, when it comes to products and yeah and i have been asked by by merck uh, to join the treasury team to become head of cash and risk management and to shape the treasury future of a german truly big multinational DAX company and so often uh, you don't get the chance for this and therefore I took the opportunity uh, to work for a much bigger company and to grow even faster and bigger. And when you say that you, you're joining as head of cash and you know to a global multinational and sometimes when I talk to candidates they might have a nervousness how much can they, are they going to become a tiny cog in a massive machine? How would you answer that about how you got into Merck? I know it's not like that. We, you and I have talked about this and we talked to Rando about this as well, about the way that he empowers people and things like that. But how, how would you characterize it? First of all, the title head of cash and risk management uh, might be misleading. So when I started, for sure it was true, I started with seven employees. Now I'm heading five teams. Within the last 15 years, we grew dramatically in terms of product, uh, reach, span, processes, and so on. Um, this is the first pillar uh, to be mentioned. Yeah, and, and, and therefore, responsibility was growing. My job evolved every th three years uh, drastically. Um, so uh, you cannot compare my task and responsibility 15 years ago, not even three years ago. And this is a nice thing. When I started with Merck 15 years ago, the turnover was 7 billion euros. 15 years later, now we are at 22 billion. Wow. And this already reflects the growth and my team. And as I said, the task and, and also grow in the same way and when you've done that when you've grown within a company like that we have patrick mccartin from caterpillar he'd been 30 years with caterpillar and it was a very interesting you know because you know and we we joked on that show that you know he'd come in and done the same job for 30 years obviously he hadn't he'd you know, every year that's one of the things that large multinational corporates if they can you know move you on every three years just looking back for a moment to when you were seven you know ma managing a team of seven so now five teams, as you've transitioned as a leader, we'll have people listening today and they're thinking, wow, I'm, I'm running a team of five or seven now. How do I then transition? What, what steps did you make internally? Or was it something that they were saying, right, you need to do this. We want you to do this. How does it work? The good thing was, and it was nearly like on a green field. At that time, Merck was not known in, in finance in general to be a front runner. 
Right. And, and this was a great opportunity. If you start at highly professional teams already, it's harder maybe to have this growth rate. Um, but the good thing is there was the opportunity and I took it. And therefore I had, I don't know how you call it in English, not a bucket list. I had yeah. a, a concept list. What, how would I like to have the treasury to be operated? And, and therefore you have to have a long-term view how to get there. For example, one of the first thing was that I introduced the Merck Financial Services uh, GmbH uh, entity for financing. Right. It was the starting point, not out of the biggest entity, the Merck KTAA. We had we created a truly financing entity, and everything what happens there is financial driven and has nothing to do with operational business. Right. So was, was, this was one of the first steps. One of the other steps was to introduce um, a treasury management system, which was not um, part of it. And running a treasury management system, you need some employees for it. And to go on, there was always a project which generate benefit. And to operate these benefits and maintain these benefits, you once in a while need resources. Um, for sure, you, we are running externally hosted. But at the end, you need one or two to run uh, applications as a minimum and to roll them out. And what were you aiming for? You had, as you say, the features and the benefits. Was it clarity of cash? Was it clarity of risk? Combination of both? How did you set each of the, the goals, the pillars, if you like? One at each time. Um, I believe that it's uh, necessary to have a solid basis, that you have transparency, because uh, you cannot work on risk if you don't see all positions near real time. You cannot match cash if you don't have visibilities, the internal, external cash flows, or if you don't have access to the cash. And one feeds into each other, and it depends on the company what to execute first with which priority at that time. For sure, when we had these acquisitions, uh, there was a currency risk, the highest impact at that time, and maybe not cash at that time. So for sure, it was a combination of what is possible with your own resources, what is the company in general doing, acquisitions, yes or no, and uh, then you have to make the best out of it. There is no blueprint how to get to this stage at the end. We touched on there, you, you talked about going from seven to a team, you know, five teams and everything else. What's your ethos as a leader for that? You know, did you always have it and think, right, that's where I want to be. I want to lead big teams or was it just a natural evolution or what happened? No, there is no natural evolution. Nobody will come to you and here you have another team and here the next one. No, it was a clear, a clear goal. And I wanted to become a big team leader of departments. And then uh, I had the right ideas and the right employees uh, to make it alive. And, and therefore, uh, one after the other idea evolved, and then you have to justify that what, that is a good idea and that it's not just a one-time event and afterwards you don't need these uh, project resources anymore. And then you have to make your business plan for all of these uh, cases. And then it grows. When, when, mm -hmm. I, when I recall, we started our regional treasury center in 2018 in Manila and Montevideo with two project employees. And now Manila is eight employees and Montevideo are four. Now we are taking over country operations, so operational business within the region. And this was the next level. And there you have to involve and onboard every year, one employee here and there. Yeah, that's basically it. I've talked to a couple of my uh, treasurer clients and one in particular has has some had some real challenges in regions like that about employees they also had 
some real challenges in Latin America as well, about getting the level of staff and, and things like that. As you say, you've sort of brought them on board and you've gradually grown the teams. Are there any tips you've got for those guys if they're listening and saying, well, how did he do it? You know, that's what we, we they want to do the same. I had uh, the same <laughs> worries to find the right staff. Other multinationals, they go to uh, New York, Miami, or somewhere else, or go to Singapore, Shanghai, or, what's, or Hong Kong in the former time. Yeah. So uh, here you can hire again uh, qualified ex-bankers or other treasurers. The move to Montevideo and Manila was because who are our treasury biggest customers? These are the shared service centers. And they are located in low-cost countries. And yes, we are in Manila and we are in Montevideo. But when it comes to, if you think and believe in financial processes and the intra-group financial processes are the most value ones in terms of risk and in terms of yeah, uh, efficiencies. Therefore, I set up the teams beside our customers, our internal customers. Um, if I need banking services, the bankers fly from Singapore to Manila or anywhere around. So banking services, I can get remotely on, on the phone or via Teams. But to have a close interaction with shared service centers, this was the rationale for, high, uh, for getting establishing the regional treasury centers there. Yes, we started with expats. So uh, two young professionals of my team in Darmstadt became head of Manila and Montevideo. And right. they hired a local person as the second project uh, manager. And this was the starting point. It was like a, a test case. At that time, I didn't knew if we really make it to the state that we, that we have now. It was digging in the dark or and, and we didn't you can't you cannot foresee it was a starting yeah, point yeah come back to the you say you got the five teams is is that regional the five teams or you know they're central teams how do you structure yourselves again without going into information that we can't share with the audience in former times i would say until we launched our latest uh, treasury management system landscape i have to say which dates back to 2018 until that time we have been totally centralized to darmstadt headquarters no treasuries around the globe only darmstadt headquarters the core teams is the cash management team the risk management team and the treasury operations team which runs the system landscape. Uh, this right. has been the nucleus and the heart of our treasury processes worldwide. And, and then um, when Merck was, was growing in, in these regions and uh, um, smaller countries became big in terms of sales and, and, and more important in, in terms of risk, we took the opportunity to establish regional treasury center uh, to be closer to the task, closer to the time zones and, yeah, and to the processes itself. And then you've grown it and grown it. And well, we you tried to make me drink alcohol recently um, because you were celebrating an Adam Smith Award. Can you tell us a bit more about that and being a winner and things? I did, I've got to say, I didn't drink with you because I, I know that's a bad place to go, but actually I did have to get a train home that night. But yeah, it was it was great to share a table with you and talk about some of your successes. Can you share that with the audience? Yeah, for sure. It's not a secret. Luckily that my teams are regular winners of Adam Smith Awards, AAA or Sherman Awards. One thing that was outstanding about the last award is the following. First thing is that we created a new process which was not there and we right. convinced financial institutions and to work on it. What is it about? It's about the netting settlement process. So whenever you settle more FX deals and you pay net 
you need to confirm the amount and the settlement instructions, the IBAN, where to pay. And this is totally manual on corporate side and on banking side. Everybody knows that there is the confirmation matching tool from Frenastra out there. All multinationals around the globe are using it, but it matches only single FX deals so far. Uh, or it did in the past. And I talked during Corona um, two years to management of Finastra. Uh, can you match my shoe size? I said, yes, no problem. Can you match <laughs> if it's Adidas or Nike? Yes, no problem. And I said, okay, now we exchange the shoe size with the net settlement amount and Adidas or Nike, uh, we exchange with the IBAN. Ah, oh, difficult. That's <laughs> a problem. Okay. And after, yes, uh, it could be possible, but is there a market? Why should we do? And it's not a miracle. It's not just programming big things. It's really adding fields in, in formats. So at the end, I could confirm um, Finastra management. Uh, my team produced the respective files. It's also just a file formatting. It doesn't matter if you, if you use Wall Street, if you use Quantum, if you use SAP, it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's just a format that you send and the bank. And this was the second surprise, then sends also the same file format and it matches in the matching system. Okay, I could convince Finastra, we did the testing, everything worked out. And then I talked to the banks, hey, you stop your manual process and you also send a file. Wow. And it took me another half a year uh, to convince the first banks uh, to get efficiency on their side. They stick to their old manual processes that a back office called a dealer via phone or via email and that you get no confirmation about the IBANs ever. And then I, I found the first banks. And from there on, all our Merck core banks are since last year on the process. It works perfectly automated. And if there is a mistake in the IBAN or in the amount, it sends immediately emails to the respective teams in the bank or in, in the corporate side. And so there's no more lost money in, in uh, around the globe and it's matched immediately. And just, so I was just looking at some of the, the benefits of this. You've got the uh, risks mitigated, increased automation, everything else and visibility and the errors. Have you looked at some of the costs, the benefits cash wise or quantified any of that? Because, and then the follow-up question, I'm good at these because I try not to ask follow-up question, but I will. Because if someone is listening and they say, well, that's great for a big company like Merck, but we're a small corporate, you know, can they now piggyback on the fact that you've proved this concept and it works because you've done all the hard yards and stuff? You know, quantify it, if you would. Okay. In, in, in terms of uh, cash benefits, at the first side of everything, also in the old work, would run perfectly. There is no uh, cash benefit itself. Yeah. You have the transparency, you, you have process automation, and you save resources on both ends, um, yeah. on banking and on, on corporate side. When it comes to cash, for, for sure, big multinationals, and we are having an 18,000 FX deals, not, not netting settlement, but uh, single FX deals. If you imagine... Uh, once a month something goes wrong and you have to search for the, for your money uh, if yeah. you paid uh, to Mitsu instead of Sumitomo and, and, and who was wrong at the end. And this is uh, not funny. It's painful. And yes, here and there you lose some thousand euros of interest here and there. But this was not, not, not the rationale behind it. My biggest fear was to pay to the wrong amount and it might be a fraudster. Uh, right. If I have a settlement of 100 million, I don't care about the interest for one day, maybe. And, and, but if it's on the wrong account, this the wrong place. 
Yeah. yeah, exactly. Would make me a little bit more nervous. And now, yes, uh, now you can leverage quite easy. Finastra offers this product as a standard and, and, and there's no additional cost to my knowledge. And the same thing for you. You just have to add these two fields in your file and send it to Finastra. So quite easy. doesn't matter. You don't have to be big in this case because there is no implementation costs uh, involved, really. You proof of concept, implemented it, done. And got the award to prove it. Fantastic. And yeah. so I know it's not all about the awards. The awards are nice and things like that. And, you know, we joke about that. But, you know, what are you seeing as the the challenges that are coming to you? You know, we're into we're recording this beginning of 2024. We're looking at the rest of the year. What are the things that are you're thinking about you need to improve and other treasuries need to think about? There's a couple of things. First of all, my assumption is the world will stay hectic and there will be turmoil here or there. I cannot tell you what, um, but the thing is, we will be surprised also in the future by things popping up here and there. Therefore, what made my team being capable of uh, getting through all these crises, if it was Euro crisis, financial crisis, Corona, energy, Russia, and so on, you need a solid basis and solid processes. Mm. And uh, here we go on working and rolling out processes to the countries, getting rid of e-banking system to get rid of everything which is not standard and where fraudster and everything uh, could attack you where you don't have transparency. So it's really about uh, still an IT and, and processes itself to have some uh, stable running that you can concentrate on managing things, not on executing daily daily tasks. So um, this will be um, the ongoing. And, and I would say not only for 2024, this will not go away anymore. And, and other things that, you, you know, you when, when you're mentoring the team, you're leading those guys, coaching them and things, you know, what are you, you know, getting them to focus on? Is it just, you know, the automation, getting the errors reduced and visibility? What are you thinking? It depends on the team, um, okay. for sure. Each team has different uh, tasks and, and, and tif different targets for the next years. For sure, we are going to expand our scope still. And Treasury in the last year becomes more and more a business partner in terms of yeah, supporting sales, supporting uh, risk diversity, but also entering into new fields. Um, not, for ex one, one example is a Treasury wants to evaluate or elaborate energy hedging strategy. And this, we are sitting down together with our production sites, where we also have now solar plants, we have VPPAs, wind parks uh, somewhere, and uh, we have procurement, purchasing the physical um, energy. And Merck Treasury wants to bring together all the stakeholders, and we are we want to check if uh, overlay hedging of energy prices could make sense and how it could be executed. And this is one example that each of the team can expand their scope and bring value to the Merck Group. Taking it back a stage just for a moment, I've talked to a few people, yourself included, that 20 years ago, Treasury was like, hey, we're the specialists. And then, you know, they sort of got away from the business to get a nice pay rise because you're the Treasury specialist. And then I've often talked to people that they Treasury's then spent 20 years getting yourself back out the corner, you know, and being part of the business. And you've just given a great example there of getting involved with energy and everything else. But how do you perhaps persuade them to let you in that meeting? How do you let persuade them to let you in the room? Is it because again, you know, this is an advice show. If other people are listening, they're going, 
well, that's all very well, but you know, my business controllers, they're not that really interested. You know, do you have to go to them with a, a paper that says, by the way, if we do this, we can save you this or how, how have you done it? The answer is it depends. It depends mm -hmm. on the stakeholders themselves. By nature, we are always talking not about uh, only about figures. We are talking about people. We are talking about feelings or uh, or responsibilities that they did something for 20 years the way they did it. And now you are coming from, from treasury headquarter and say, you know it better. <laughs> no, first of all, for sure, make uh, your solid groundwork, come up with a business plan, uh, talk to the people, not at the first stage, uh, come up with an idea and and with something where all can benefit for for example here our overlay hatching strategy a treasury and, and we we don't want to be responsible to buy physical energy somewhere in the usa or in portugal uh, this is not my business uh, this needs to be combined and you have to take away the fear of the employees that you are taking their job or, or that they are not so important anymore and and, and you and in this case, I'm, I'm pretty sure it will work out because mm. it will be additional. It will be something on top for everybody. And how do you do that? You know, how do you, when, when you're, you're walking in the room and you're, these guys are going, yeah, but who is this treasury guy? <laughs> yes. you, yeah. No, and, and first of all, um, I, I'm looking for the person I contact. If it's uh, colleagues in headquarters, for sure, I meet them in their office or go for lunch or whatsoever. On the other hand, for sure, if they are sitting in Portugal, uh, a Teams meeting might be helpful to get a starting point and not just an email. I would like to learn about your job. <laughs> so you need an introduction and a personal uh, interaction will help, not for all cases. So yeah. if somebody doesn't want, you need to come up with the rationale behind it. In the worst case, you need to uh, include the superiors of the other stakeholders and to formulate um, a common target. And, and this is um, the best thing. And I would recommend all these cross-functional projects, um, they become alive and successful if all team members see it as a common goal. And if each department uh, has it in the goal setting for the next year. If only one department has it in the goal setting, it will be difficult because it will be not the priority in the same direction of others. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, well, you've get, been very generous with your time and everything else. I wanted to, we'll put your LinkedIn details in the show notes. And this is sort of where we wrap up each you know, show and, you know, we'll, we'll meet you and I'll see you at various conferences and you've got some great views and some great advice for people and things. But as takeaways from today, if you're thinking about other treasury professionals, they're listening today, they're going, that's great advice. But what what are the takeaways we maybe give them for their careers if they're early on or if they're a bit more senior? What are you things that you think that people need to think about? Maybe also younger generations are listening. I'm still of the opinion uh, that hard work pays back. Uh, and solid education is key. So it starts with the basic, not just managing anything. It needs the person needs to have knowledge to be accepted by stakeholders, by employees, by peers, whatever it is. So um, a solid uh, knowledge is king in, in, in this regard. And from this basis, uh, you can work on. And for sure, I still believe uh, that hard work. Uh, pays back to a certain level um, of hierarchy that you can achieve. For the rest, you need luck and to be on the right time at the right position and so on. Mm. But certain levels you can uh, for sure achieve. And for the more experienced treasurers out there, you know, what are the, what's the advice? Again, if you're at one of these conferences, as you and I, we share a stage a lot of the time and we're sitting there, 
and people saying yeah but what are you thinking about what are you not worried about but what are you what's on your radar what are you thinking that other treasurers should be you, you mentioned there earlier about you know all different events and it's it's quite a different world you know five years ago there was you know pre-covid and and everything else and then we had you know zero inflation and everything and, and now i know that's come back on the radar but is that something that you guys are thinking about all the financial risk challenges that are coming along or what do, what do you think other people should be other treasury professionals should think about the thing is as i said uh, work hard solid knowledge you cannot know everything yourself you need a team of knowledge people with different backgrounds and uh, we don't know which will, what will be the next challenge the thing is, and this was also uh, the success of Merck Treasury, we have knowledgeable people and I rely on their opinion. I rely on their decisions and, and we have a proper, uh, honest, hard and straight um, exchange on what to do and how to act. For sure, at the end, there are hierarchies and decisions have to be made, but we couldn't have achieved and, and to overcome all these challenges in, in such a good way. You need the team. And the team needs to be experienced at the end. And, and you have to keep your team yeah, somehow, not I wouldn't say happy, motivated and passionate about mm. what they are doing. And then you can master all of these things and it pays back to their career and your career and of the reputation of the department. Build it through the team. Amazing. So again, get lots of knowledge and build an amazing team around you. Nice takeaways. There you go, sir. We'll put your LinkedIn details in the show notes and yeah, look forward to seeing you once again in this next year. Look forward to it. Thank you, Mike. It was a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Hello, Treasury professionals. Before you dive into the next episode, could you please help me continue to grow the world's only global Treasury salary survey? That's right, our one. So you know your compensation is constantly benchmarked against the market. It's amazing, isn't it? Just go to treasurysalary.com. Takes less than two minutes to complete, start to finish. You then gain exclusive, regular, updated access to our salary survey, keeping you ahead of the curve. The survey is an evolving, breathing entity that constantly tracks the salaries of treasury professionals on a global basis. Currently, we have over 1,100 participants taking part at treasurysalary.com. Thank you for being such amazing loyal listeners. Your support is incredible. Couldn't do it without you. Thank you. Go to treasurysalary.com.